Welcome back to the Pathway Podcast. In this week's episode, lead pastor Jeremy Flanagan continues our series on the book of James. Well, I hope you've had a uh, good weekend. It's a nice good long holiday weekend, which means we've got some people in from out of town. We've got some of our own folks who are traveling, and, uh, and it means that I've got a lot of things around the house to try and finish tomorrow that uh, I normally don't get to, so we'll see. We'll see how much of that list gets done, but uh, the couch also sounds really, really, really good, but um, hopefully you've uh, maybe got some uh, better plans than I do this weekend between either working or then being lazy and not working. Uh, either way, I won't enjoy myself, but uh, because I'll either, you know, feel, feel guilt or, you know, regret, so... Either way, tomorrow's gone. But for you, maybe you have better plans, and we'll do something fun this afternoon or tonight. But uh, we are jumping in the book of James. We started it last week. I'm going to be there for another uh, 11 weeks, um, looking at a lot of different things. James is a really, really full book. You know, I compare it kind of to Proverbs in the way that every few verses is just a new, you know, something that hits us, just something that punches us. Uh, and punch is a really good word for the book of James. But I want to share just a few things with you. If you weren't here last week, just to center your mind around when you read this book, where is it coming from? Who's it written to? Because I think that helps us a lot. Very first verse says, James chapter 1 and verse 1, this letter is from James, a slave of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm writing to the 12 tribes, Jewish believers scattered abroad. Greetings. So just always remember that. Who is he writing it to? He is writing it to fellow Jewish believers because he was a Jew uh, who rejected the message of Jesus for a while. He was his, his half-brother, and he still didn't follow Jesus there, at least we know at the beginning of his ministry, and it wasn't until later, most people uh, assume after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, that he jumped on board and that he became uh, a, not only a believer and a follower, but a leader. And just a few quick facts about James, uh, which if you were here last week and you're paying really closely, uh, you will see that, uh, that I had it on there. Um, if we have, do we have that slide up? Uh, if not, that I had it, that it was written around uh, 45 to 48 AD. I corrected that. Last week I said BC. And while there's a lot of prophecy in the Bible, the book of James was not written 50 years before he was born. Um, so it was later. Uh, but it was written as one of the first books in the New Testament that was actually written down. Uh, and that in it, um, in only 108 verses, there are 54 calls to action. Similar to Proverbs. Just do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this. You're actually messing up really bad. And uh, I need you to do better. I mean, that's a whole lot of it. So if you're looking for the book that says, you're really great, James is not it. Uh, we'll go to other places. But... Think about what James was trying to get across and who he was talking to. And the reason I say it was disliked from the start, um, and then for hundreds of years, Christian theologians accepted that this was, you know, part of Scripture, needed to be part of Scripture, was written by the half-brother of Jesus. There's some, you know, people who say it may be a different James because there's like 17 of them, actually about four or five. But there's a lot of Jameses. But I really feel that that's who it was. But people don't like it in, in the last thousand years, even more so, because of how strong it is on the idea that we need to be serving God. 
Almost to the point that when you read the book of James, you can get confused and sometimes think to yourself, if my life isn't shown as complete obedience and serving God, then maybe I'm not going to heaven. Um, But I'll tell you this, I don't want to scare you here, but I know people whose lives seemed like everything was together and they realized that they weren't going to heaven. They were doing all the right things, but they never actually believed in it. They didn't really trust in Jesus. They were just doing the right things. A lot of people can do that. So that's not how you base your salvation. But because of that, a lot of people didn't like the book of James or didn't want to preach through the book of James because they don't want people to get confused. However, if we skip over this book, we're missing out on a whole lot of of treasured scriptures that help try and hold our feet to the fire. And that's what you need to understand. That's what the book of James is, and it's who the book of James was written to. James, the half-brother of Jesus, who, with all the other brothers of Jesus, mocked him early in his ministry. He says, brother, I'm not going to believe my, younger, or my older brother is the Messiah, right? And then later, because of that, I think just like Paul became such a preacher of the gospel because he had killed so many Christians, that James because, becomes someone talking to Jewish believers saying, don't make the same mistake I did. And then also, Jewish believers who lived their whole lives under a kind of a distorted view of what Judaism was supposed to be, but instead it became where you just be pious and you live this good life and you do these good things and you're okay before God. James wanted them to accept the fact that their goodness came from faith in Christ, that we don't have anything to offer, but we should try, right? Because Jesus offers us so much, we shouldn't take that for granted. Because if you're a person who lives under that idea of legalism and then you're told you're free, right? Sometimes we can abuse that freedom. And so that was James's message. I mean, I remember whenever I would mess up in my life and my dad would come down on me and I would get the hard, stern lecture, right? A little bit of yelling, a whole lot of lecture, a little more yelling, But when I messed up with friends around, it was so nice. Because he would still yell, but it would be like a a six instead of a ten. right? He would still get on to me, but the length would be cut by 40%. And so that's how I look at the book of James. It's not with the idea that this was written to people trying to decide whether or not they believed in Jesus as Savior. It was written to fellow Jewish believers scattered abroad. You're my kids. You mess up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to whip you. I'm going to get on to you. You're going to get the full lecture because none of your friends are here. Right? That's the book of James. So understand that when you read through it. And let's just get started with the main scripture we're going to use today. James chapter 1 and verse 12. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And remember, when you're being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So temptation is a word that we use, and sometimes we use it for things that we want, but maybe we shouldn't have, or... Maybe we want a whole lot of, but we should want it, you know, in a little bit of moderation. Or like when it comes to my wife, which she's fine to have as many, many 
many pairs of shoes and purses as we can possibly fit in our house. Um, but, you know, we've struggled in life to talk about not spending our life savings on them, which is very frugal when it comes to purses and shoes. And just every so often we hit an outlet mall and all that goes out the window. But, you know, you're tempted with things that you want, but sometimes you have to learn to keep those back in moderation. Um, temptation can be for something that is okay for us to have, but possibly if we delayed it, then we would be better off. You know, a lot of people, and, it, and you can use this type of illustration when you're talking about leadership, when you're talking about self-discipline. You know, the idea that, you know, that if we delay gratification for what we want now, and we discipline ourselves, you know, in the short term in order for greater rewards in the long term, that, that that's kind of the key to success. You know, if you just enjoy life now, it may cause pain later, but a little bit of pain now you know, spending the time doing the things that invest in our future, a uh, little pain now, and then we enjoy it later. So that's another idea of temptation is just self-gratification in the instant. And then we can also look at it as it pertains to sin, right? As it pertains to the idea that we are tempted to do things that we should never touch, that we should never uh, take a hold of. And if we bring that into our life, that it hurts us. And so I've got a lot of different deep theological things that we can use to illustrate this or other quotes, um, but I've heard little kids with marshmallows, so let's, let's roll the video. It's one of my favorite. Okay, sit in that chair. All right, here's the deal. Marshmallow for you. You can either wait, and I'll give you another one if you wait, or you can eat it now. When I come back, I'll give you two, another one, so then you'll have two. But stay in here and stay in the chair till I come back, okay? okay. All right. I'm gonna go do something and then I'll come back. It smells yummy. It smells really So it's up to you. You can have it now or you can wait. Okay? I'll be back. Stay in the chair, okay? Okay.
so I'm gonna leave and then I'll come back, okay? So you can either eat it right now or you can wait. Either way, okay? Okay. How'd you do? Did you do good? You did? Yeah. You wanted to eat it, didn't you? Yeah. So did I tell you to give you another one? Okay, now you can have both. You need them. <laughs> yeah, she's not even gonna try and hide the evidence. I, I love the one little girl who ate all the way around it like an apple almost, and then just put it back on the plate. Maybe, maybe she won't notice. So I love that, and I'm actually gonna pull out some points of that here a little bit later. I love that video, and it's, a, it's an older video that uh, I, I haven't watched in a long time. And, but when I think of the idea of temptation, it always takes me back to that, right? There's something in front of us we desire. And as we get into the scripture, that's the whole point, is that temptation has to be something that we desire. There's a lot of things that we may pat ourselves on the back and say, you know, that temptation doesn't bother me. Well, of course it doesn't bother you. You don't desire it. But there is something or multiple things that you do want, right? That you do covet, that you do desire, that you do, you know, have trouble not reaching out and grabbing. Uh, and so that is the whole point uh, of this passage. So when we talk about temptation, sometimes we fool ourselves. And, you know, this test is something that they were going to have the marshmallow. It was fine for them to have the marshmallow, right? That's the temptation of delayed gratification, right? If I just wait three minutes, I get twice as many marshmallows. And the one girl is eating on it before the, the, the woman even quit talking. She's like, I don't care. I just want a marshmallow now. And, but she didn't, you know, wouldn't get the second one. So there's that idea of temptation. But most of the times when we think of temptation, especially in a biblical sense, it's something that we know is not good for us. Right? It's not the temptation of self-discipline. It's not the temptation of delayed gratification. It is the temptation of there is something in front of us that we really, really want. And we're having a hard time not grabbing it. And so sometimes we fool ourselves into thinking that keeping the sin in front of us is a good way to kind of test our endurance. Right? I need to see if I'm getting better. Right? I need to see how strong I am. I need to prove that I'm getting strong enough to resist this temptation that's in front of me. Because, you know, the whole goal is for me to be stronger in Christ. And so having that temptation there just lets me know I, with, I withstood giving in today. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, in the sermon we talked about last week, just real quickly. It says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. And I, I know people that know scripture well enough that they know these verses, right? They know verses 2 through 4 in James chapter 1. And have used it when talking about why they haven't completely cut that temptation out of their life about why that they haven't completely made the steps to remove it. Because they say, you know what? If I, am I, if I keep the sin in front of me and I withstand it, then my faith is tested and my endurance has a chance to grow. Don't you want me to get stronger, Jeremy? Don't you want my endurance to grow? 
And I say, yeah, what about the next two verses? And it's what we talked about last week. If you need wisdom and ask our generous God, he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as the wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Now, if you remember what we talked about last week about God giving us wisdom, if you weren't here just real quick, the whole idea is that God says he will grant us wisdom. Those verses aren't about praying for what everything else we want in life, and, and it's not a guarantee that God is going to answer every prayer that we put out there. It's saying that if you ask for wisdom, that God will grant that. But only if you don't have divided loyalty. And I said that's not you deciding whether or not you believe in God or you believe in some other God. Or you believe in God or you don't believe in God at all. Remember, these are written to what? Fellow Jewish believers. They all believed in Jesus Christ as Savior. The divided loyalty that James was hitting at them with is saying... God, I will hear out your wisdom. I'll I'll listen to what you say. I'm going to take in what you say is the right path for me to do and the the right thing for me to have in my life. But then I'm still going to weigh it against what I want or what I think is best. Because even though you say this, God, I've got pretty good ideas. And the whole idea that we can ask God for wisdom while we're still saying, I may not accept it because I've got great ideas. That is divided loyalty. And a person like that, the scripture says, is like someone tossed around by the the wind and the waves. And don't expect God to give you wisdom if you're not willing to say, when you give me that wisdom, I'm going to take it. If we're still going to say, God, I want your wisdom so I can make it option, you know, I'll even say option A, God. I'll, I'll put my thoughts as option B. That's divided loyalty. So, It's good to know that when you read these verses about temptation and you maybe cherry pick the ones above it about, you know, I'm trying to test my endurance, keeping this temptation in my life, that God says, no, wisdom is being ready to grab on to what I say without holding out the idea that you may still go a different path. And so what James tells them in verse 14 and 15, temptation comes from our own Desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So James, after talking about, you know, the longer we stand strong, that we build more endurance, and then talking about the idea that if you want wisdom, ask God, he'll grant it. If you're not divided, which means you're ready to follow it, when he gives you that wisdom, then he'll grant it. Otherwise, why waste his breath? And when we get into the idea of temptations, you need to understand, you need to understand that the only way to get away from it is to cut it out, is to get it completely away from us as far as possible. When Jesus was preaching in the Sermon on the Mount, the book of Matthew, he talked about the idea, you know, that if you're, you know, obvious hyperbole, But, you know, that if your eye offends you, to pluck it out, right? If your hand offends you, then cut it off. He was trying to get across the idea that whatever the temptation is that you are facing, that you are better to cut whatever that is out of your life instead of keeping it around where it's going to trip you up. 
And so even if it's something that you like and even if it's something that you want and even if it may be painful for you to take the steps to set up boundaries and to set up safeguards that the only way from the mouth of Jesus and from the pen of James that we are going to withstand temptation is to cut those things out to where they're no longer there. You know, because when we keep those things in front of us, you know, when the marshmallow is on the table, almost every little kid, almost every little kid either touched it to their mouth, get a little taste of it, would pick just a little piece of it off, right, to taste of it, because they wanted it so bad, they wanted it there. But, you know, we do that with sin. We do that with the things that we know are sinful, but we also know that we shouldn't jump into them but we keep them close enough so we can taste it, so we can smell it, so we can see it. Because down deep in our heart, there's part of us that wants that. There's part of us that wants that sin so much that it is painful to completely take it out of our lives. It is painful to make the decisions and the steps necessary to withstand that temptation, which means to remove it completely. Because part of us, even though we may make the excuse that, well, having it there means that I am building endurance, right? I prove to myself today that I'm strong. I would just say that you prove to yourself today that you're foolish by keeping it there, within reach, within touch, within smell, within taste. Because when we do that, we are really apt to just reach out and grab a little bit. And that tastes really, really good. You know, I love the one little boy. It's like my dog whenever I'm sitting. and Not anymore. She's old enough now that she just stands in front of me and just stares at me while I have food. But when she was younger, she would just sit there and stare when I have food. And when I would look at her, she'd look away. Right? She would just sit there. She would like get up on the couch next to me and just stare at me. But when I'd look at her, she'd look away. And the one little boy who wasn't looking at the marshmallow and he just, just reached over and just grabbed it, you know. That we think to ourselves that somehow we're coy, right? And there is no one in the room. A lot of times they would touch her, they would eat it, and then they would look over at the door, right? Making sure that nobody was coming in. And if you think about those, just those little illustrations of kids maybe shining a light on how we keep temptation in our life and how when we are drawn to sinful things, the way we think that it won't hurt us, We keep it there as long as nobody knows. We just maybe see it, taste it, touch it just a little bit, make sure that nobody else knows. But one day what that's going to cause is for us to to fall completely into that temptation and give way to our desires. You know, James in verse 15, he said, these desires give birth to sin, and then sin gives birth to death. This is the type of verse that some people say and they don't like about James because they're saying, are you teaching people that if they give in to sin, that what that is going to do is cause them to lose their salvation or go to hell or any, any other thing? And the answer, by all the rest of Scripture, even the book of James, is no, right? Because when we get in, give in to sin, there is no amount of sin that a believer can do that will remove the gift and the payment made by Jesus Christ. However, the entire book of James is saying, don't do that. The entire book of James is saying that even though you have that freedom, live your life for Jesus. 
And for a believer, for somebody who loves God and follows God and, and wants to try and do our best for God, when we are tempted and when these desires that we keep in front of us, right, we keep that temptation in reach. When, when we finally reach out and grab it, and so the temptation and that desire turns into sin, then the longer we stay within that sin, and sometimes it's instant, right? Sometimes we grab onto something once, and it causes part of our life to be destroyed. Sometimes we keep it around for a while, and because it doesn't destroy our life, we just remove all the boundaries, thinking we'll be okay. But eventually, those desires giving way to sin, keeping those things in our life, will lead to what James called death, destruction, hurt, pain, loss of relationship, loss of, uh, of confidence in ourselves, loss of, of a, connect, a closer connection with God. All those things can be restored, right? But the point, well, not all, right? Some relationships won't and some damage is always there. It can be forgiven and people can still connect together. But that damage is there and James is saying, don't set up the boundaries, set up the things now that keep us from falling into those. You know, if you look at temptation from the idea of some people do that God, you know, tempts us in order to see our endurance grow, the James goes against that as well. You know, in verses 12 and 13 that we read those at the very beginning where he said, remember when you're being tempted, do not say God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong and he never tempts anyone else. You know, in the book of Job, we talked about that a little bit last month because Job got to the place where he was accusing God, God being the one who was causing all the horrible things to happen in his life. In the book of Job in chapter 30, one of the things he said to God in verse 20 was, I cry to you, O God, but you don't answer. I stand before you, but you don't even look. You have become cruel toward me and you use your power to persecute me. Obviously not going to re-preach the book of Job but the whole idea was all the horrible things that happened to him are because God didn't stop Satan from doing it, right? That Satan wanted to destroy Job and, and God put up some things and said you can't kill him and you can't do this, but, you know, a lot of horrible things happen. And so in our life, when we're dealing with tragedy and, and other things, instead of looking at the fact that we live in a sin-cursed world and realizing that, Pain and sickness and death come from that, right? The result of mankind's sin. Or that pain and suffering oftentimes can come from our own choices or they can also come from the choices of others because we live in a world full of other broken people just like us. That we will say, God, why did you not stop the bad things from happening? You know, about a month ago we had that sermon where we talked about why do bad things happen to good people? You can go back and listen to that. If you have questions, I would always love to talk to you about it. But that same concept about where we can get to the place where we blame God for not stopping all the bad things to happening to us, we can translate that over to the situations where we give in to temptation. God, you told me that I would not be tempted beyond anything that I could withstand. Right? That's scripture. Sometimes that means that, yeah, you could withstand that until you kept it in your life and you kept it in your life and you kept it in your life and you knew that you needed to put up boundaries. You knew that you needed to put those temptations away from you, 
create safeguards. At what point is God giving us the strength to withstand temptation? Is he going to say, I've helped you so many times, but you keep surrounding yourself by it. We want to keep our feet next to the fire. We want to keep the dangerous thing so close to us because a part of our heart wants it. And then get mad at God that he didn't somehow remove that temptation or keep us from falling in. You'll have to forgive me a day. A day parking cars outside must have gotten to me a bit. So we can get to the place like Job did when he was hurting and suffering. And it's very understandable where you say, God, you could have kept all this from happening. So I'm starting to blame you. And when we fall into temptation, we want to blame everybody else but us, right? We want to blame everybody but ourselves. That's natural. That's human nature. And we can even get to the place saying, God, why didn't you stop me? But James is very clear that God does not tempt anyone. God does not tempt us to sin. God does not want us to sin. The simple fact that God does not remove every temptation in front of us is not God tempting us. Right? That's how some people may look at it. That's how some people may write about things. But, but James is very clear that temptation does not come from God because he does not want us to sin. Temptation comes from you can say Satan, you can say other people, you can say all those things if you want, but James got down to the root of it. It comes from our desires. Because there's nothing that Satan could put in front of me that would tempt me if I don't desire it. There's nothing that a friend or another person or, you know, or, or television or TV or the internet or anything else, anybody could put in front of me that would tempt me unless I desired it. I used to have a lot of things that people would tempt or offer me with, and those things I never had a problem. I didn't care for them. I didn't want them. Or I saw enough damage caused from them that I, I just, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to do that. But there are other things that I've been fighting for decades, and I'll have to fight them tomorrow and the next week and the next month. The things, the sinful things that I desire that I would like to grab a hold of, those are the things that tempt me. And the only way I don't slip up is if I make sure that I set up roadblocks and boundaries and safeguards that I don't test my endurance, right? My endurance comes from not being foolish. My endurance comes from not being divided when I ask God for wisdom. My endurance comes from trusting in what God says is the way forward instead of saying, I want to prove how tough I am, how strong I am. No, my endurance comes from following God's plan. And like Jesus said, remove it. Remove it from in front of us. James went on to say in verse 16, he said, Don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father, who created all the lights in the heavens, and he never changes or casts a shifting shadow. He chose to give birth to us by giving his true word. And we, out of all creation, became his prized possession. So just remember that God isn't the one who tempts us. And, and whoever else we may blame, it's our desires, right? Our desires ultimately are what tempts us. That's what we have to control. That's what we have to guard against. That's what we have to make decisions around. But he said, whatever is good and perfect is a gift 
coming down to us from God our Father. In these terms, whatever people we have that love us enough to speak truth into our life, to help hold us accountable, to help us see the things maybe that are tripping us up, that we're keeping too close, those are, are things that I believe God gives us. He does not change or cast a shifting shadow. And out of all creation, we became his prized possession. You know, God loves us and, and Jesus came and he died for us. And God's plan for us is not just to spend an eternity with him, but he does want us to succeed in life. He does want us to withstand temptation. Success to God does not look like success that the world spells out all the time. It looks like somebody who is growing closer and closer to the image of his son. In the book of Hebrews, in chapter 12 and verse 17, Scripture tells us that therefore it was necessary for him to be made, Jesus to be made, in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he, Jesus, could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. Since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, he is able to help us when we are being tested. You know, Jesus, when he was tempted, you know, the most famous part that it is actually spelled out is when Satan was trying to tempt Jesus. And some of the things he was tempting Jesus to do, Jesus had the authority to do, right? That's what Satan said. He said, you have the authority to do these things, right? Take charge, take control. But it went against God's plan. And then some of the things would have shown Jesus' pride and, 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 and arrogance that he did not have, but that Satan did. Right? And just like the beginning of the book of Job, Satan projects his own sinful nature onto mankind, and he's often right. He tried to project his sinful nature onto Jesus, and it didn't work. And Jesus used Scripture every time, Scripture every time, to answer Satan. He did not give an inch. He did not start debating, well, could I do this or couldn't I do this? Well, would it be wrong or wouldn't it? Well, how far could I go before it crosses the line of just being maybe a little questionable to being wrong? He always responded with scripture and he cut the temptation off. And that's what we have to do is look to God's wisdom. We never have to ask a question about what God wants if it's already written down. And most things are written down. And we look to God's wisdom and for the things, the very few that the principle isn't spelled out clearly in scripture, that we talk to those people who we know and that we trust and are also trying to follow Jesus. And then we say, I need you to help me see because my desire is clouding my vision. And I need you to help me see what do I need to do to withstand these temptations. But Jesus is there for us. God says that he will help us. And then ultimately, the main thing that God wants for us is in verse 17 that we already read. That it was necessary for Jesus to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that Jesus could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. Jesus' sacrifice is the thing that makes payment for all of the sin that we do give ourselves into. And whether we see ourselves as somebody who sins a little or somebody who sins a lot, Every one of us has sinned to the point, at all, if we sin at all, which we all have, that we do not deserve the grace. We do not deserve the gift of salvation that God offers. But Jesus came anyway. That we do not, we cannot earn ever the payment that he made for our sin. 
but he offers it anyway. And that Jesus came and that he did all of this so he could offer what? A sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. Resisting temptation can strengthen us. It can strengthen our relationship. It can strengthen our testimony. And when we mess up, getting back on trying to do everything we can to restore those and to put up safeguards and everything else, we can rebuild much of that back even when we, even when we give in to sin. To defeat temptation, we are not confronting the devil, right? He's there. He's there. We are confronting, however, ourselves and our own desires. When the scripture says to resist the devil, it, it's still our desires that we confront. It's still our desires that we have to get a hold of. And because God knows that we'll never be completely successful at that, he offers a way to forgive it. If you're here and you have never trusted in Jesus Christ, maybe you're a person who says, I've given in to so much sin in my life, I don't deserve it. You're correct. And neither do I or anyone else. Maybe you're here and you've given in to sin and you're, you're scared that if you believe in Jesus Christ that you're gonna have to put up boundaries against those things you desire. I can't tell you how many people have told me that they're, they ha- they not, they're not ready to trust in Jesus yet. And for the ones who will open up to me, it, it eventually goes to they're not ready to say I believe in Jesus because they don't want the conviction or the hypocrisy of not cutting off those things that they know are wrong in the sight of God. Whatever it is, if there is something that is keeping you from placing your faith in Jesus Christ today, don't, don't make that decision. Accept his payment, accept his sacrifice. He came and he lived among us. He understands temptation. He understands falling into sin even though Jesus never did. And he said, I love you in spite of it so I can save you. So if you're here today and you haven't trusted in Christ, I'm gonna be standing up front worshiping with you. And as our worship team comes and and we have a time of response, I would love to talk to you about what it means to just accept that complete, free offer of salvation from Jesus Christ. And if you're a believer, right, if you're the audience that James was writing to, he, 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 punches, he punches quick. He has a high punch count. For every verse or every two verses, there's one thing that he's telling us to do. Why? Because he wants us to succeed in life. And if you struggle with temptation, you need to ask yourself why. Number one, it's because it's something you desire. But number two, it's probably because we're keeping it within touch within taste, within reach. Make the steps and surround yourself with people that'll help you make the steps to put those things away so you can not have to always struggle with the desires, but you can actually live life for God and for yourself.